Thank you. It is officially a Sunday in the middle of July. There is a heat wave all across the country. Amen. It's supposed to be 100 degrees in our city today. And we only sang two songs and I already almost swept through my shirt. So bear with us today. We have the air on, but we, um, we know that uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's just no way to contain the fire of the Lord. Amen. 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 My name is CV. I'm the uh, pastor of one of the team members. I get to serve. This is my home church. And I'm so grateful that you're here today as well. Amen. Give yourself a hand. Thank you for being here. I have a couple announcements I want to share with you, some of the things that are happening here at our church before we dive into the Word. And you may have noticed that we only sang two songs at the start of the service today. We're going to do something different over the next several weeks. Instead of doing our usual order of service, which is three songs and then the message, we're going to split them up. We're going to do two songs in the front. We're going to take a time to study the Word together, and then we're going to worship at the end. And the reason that we're doing this is um, so you stop being, no, that's not true. I'm not going to say so you stop being late. No, that ain't it. No, I'm kidding. The reason we're going to do this is because we want to open some space for the Lord to have his way. We never want to be a church that's just word and no spirit. Amen? We want to be a church that's word and spirit. And what we want to make sure that we're doing is not over-programming our Sundays, but just to let the Lord have his way. So if he decides to heal, he's going to heal. If he decides to deliver, he's going to deliver. If he wants to call everyone down to the altar for a moment of change that breaks every yoke and breaks every chain, well, we're going to make sure we're not in the way for those moments. Amen. I want to be mindful that as a church, we're never the kind of church that does things our way and misses when God wants to do his thing. I want to be the kind of leader that's totally yielded to the Holy Spirit. So when he wants to show up in power, I don't have to wrestle him for the pulpit. I want you to be the kind of church that when God wants to move, you say, have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. I'm not looking for anybody in this church that's just ready for God to make a move in this place. Y'all with me? Now, I come from a charismatic church. And in a charismatic church, when we were to do a moment like that, you, you couldn't keep us out of our seats. And you know me, I like to push you a little bit. So if I'm pushing you a little bit to get you to dive into the presence of the Holy Spirit and you give me a golf clap, I might have to double push you a little bit today. Amen. Some of you are like, that is a good birdie for Jesus Christ on the nine hole. I love it. Way to go, Jesus. I'm trying to be the kind of believer who when God shows up, I didn't need to be informed of it because I was the one that ushered him in. I want to be the kind of Christian who's been welcoming him, who's been pulling him, saying, me, Jesus, come see me, Jesus. Come in this room, break the chains, break the yoke. I'm looking for somebody on Colfax who said, come, Lord, here. If I have anybody in this room, that's what I'm talking about. We need to be expectant for Jesus. Not reluctant for Jesus, not resistant for Jesus, but ready for some Jesus. You with me? All right. You can sit if you want to, but you ain't got to. This is just the announcements. I want to be, I want to be. I feel him in this room today. All right, let me, let, let's move. I got us all fired up. 
I just sense he's going to do something today. Let me, let me share with you a couple things that are happening in the house. We'll dive into the word and then he'll just take over. Um, we've got an awesome team here at this church. And one of the two most important pieces of this awesome team are the most recent additions, Pastor Josh and Ladoris Darrett. Would you all stand up? Help us thank God for you. Stay. Pastor Josh and Ladoris are officially with us now, and they're, they're leading our, our, our student ministries, both Stoke for our high school students and Ignite for our middle school students. And, and the ideas that they've been coming with, up with are so awesome, and so I'm so excited about all that they're doing. The next event is coming up on Saturday the 29th. Am I right? Amen. So it's Connections in the Park. This is for both ministries, Stoke and Ignite. It's going to be meeting at, is it James A. Bible Park? A whole party at the park for all of our students. And I want to challenge you, if you have a teenager or a middle schooler or you're in the room, sign up for this. It's an awesome opportunity for us, for us to grow together as a family and to equip our students as they get ready for the coming season. And speaking of that, we also have our back-to-school inReach coming up. Here's the deal. Many churches do a lot of outreach. They, they raise support and raise resources for people outside their church. But... We don't want to do that without also loving the students and young people inside of our church. Amen? So what you see up here are these baskets of school supplies, and there's one in the front. On August 13th, it will be the kickoff of Stoke and Ignite's small group ministry, which is going to be meeting every other Sunday across the street at the Goose Town Tavern. That's right. Our students also have their own mini church on Colfax Avenue. Come on, somebody. Amen? If we do it right, we're going to launch a prime timers down at Mezcal, and we're going to launch a, who knows? I don't know. I'll start the tattoo ministry. I'm down for that one. Let's, hey, come on. But the students are going to be meeting starting August 13th, every other Sunday across the street. And in an effort to kickstart that fall season for them, we're going to be giving every student in Ignite and Stoke a backpack fully stocked and supplied with victory kits and everything they need for the year. Amen? But we need your help. So you see the supplies so far. We're going to continue to collect supplies every Sunday up until then. So I want to challenge you. Check your emails and your texts. You'll see all the information of the things that we need to fill these baskets. Amen? Amen. Let me also just give you one last thing. Where's all my ladies in the house? Ladies say yeah. Amen. Our women's ministry is back this summer. And their next event is on August 6th. The women are going to City Park Jazz, and amen, let's give a hand for that. Just a moment to kind of chill and do sophisticated things, amen. Last time they went whitewater rafting, and this one's a little more pinky up, if you know what I mean. This one's a little, a little more refined. And so ladies, I want to encourage you to sign up. There's no cost for this, and really no limit on the number of ladies that can attend. We actually haven't even announced it until just now. We already have 15 women sign up, so ladies, Get in on this because it's going to be a wonderful time. Amen? Also, last thing for you, I want to encourage you, if you don't already have our app, to get our app. It's the best way for you to connect to us. You can listen to our sermons, submit a prayer request. You can join a small group, sign up for a service team, schedule time to meet with me one-on-one. -on -one. You can do everything that you need to do through our church, through our app. So should be instructions right there. Text the word beacon to the number 97,000 and that will get you plugged in. Amen? Last thing, would you all help me thank God for the opportunity to be generous in the house of the Lord? At Beacon, we're a generous church. We believe in giving. We believe in sowing wherever God is going. Amen? And everything that we do at this church 
goes to advance the kingdom in a part of the city where the kingdom hasn't yet been advanced. And so I want to encourage you today to be faithful in the stewardship of your finances through the tithe and the offering. We have several ways that you can give right on the screen behind me, either online, in the app, by text. You can even drop a check or envelope in our offering bucket on your way out today. This is good ground, and we continue to grow and continue to do things um, that really affect the culture in our city. And I'm asking you to support us in this. Amen? Let me pray over your gift. If you're giving today, Heavenly Father, we love you, and we're grateful that we get to serve, that we get to give, and that we get to be used by you to greater measure. God, with every seed that's sown today, I ask that you would multiply it, that it, as it leaves our hand, it never leaves our life, and that you take what we give and make it much for your glory and your name. In Jesus' name we pray and all that agreed said amen, amen and amen, amen, amen. Hey, one more time, help me thank God for our band. All that you do, we love you. Love you guys. Do you have your Bible? Say yeah. If you have a paper Bible, say I am holy. Uh, I'm going to continue our study today in the book of Galatians. We've been walking through the study of Paul's letter to the churches in Galatea since February. The Lord has given us a great opportunity to go line by line, and he's broken out so many pieces, and we continue that today. We're going to jump into chapter 4 again, and I'm going to pick up at verse 21. So today we're reading from Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, all the way through the end of verse 31, Galatians 4 and at 21. It reads like this. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically, for these women are two covenants. One is Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be no more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free. The title of our message today is The Truth in Black and White. And the big idea is this. Our God sees in black and white. For God, there is no gray. Amen? That's why we believe in an absolute truth. That's why we believe that he is the truth. That's why I believe that what he says is truth. Amen? We don't want to be the kind of believers who like some of his truth and will incorporate it when it applies to our truth. We want to surrender to his truth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I thank you today for this word, and I ask that you give me Pentecost power in the preaching. You'd give me Holy Ghost clarity in the mind. 
that you'd give me a clarity in the speech, and that, Jesus, you might be glorified today. Now speak through me. Use me as you see fit. Prepare our hearts and minds to receive from you. Let no distraction and no attack get in the way. Amen and amen. Now, before I do anything, before I touch on the intro for this or before we jump into our points, I want to just address some of the language that's in this text. We're using phrases like slave and free. And I need you to be mindful that these words that we're using here in the allegory that Paul is teaching are not the same sort of words filtered through the lens of the North American dialect or verbiage that we use. This is not the same concept as slavery in the U.S. You have to understand that in the ancient Near East, slavery was a function and a common practice nearly everywhere, and most slavery was not done on a genocidal nation-by-nation practice, save for Israel and Egypt. No, most slavery was practiced in smaller settings, oftentimes through the lens of indentured servitude. People would be lent out or would pay off a due through service, and that service was called slavery. Y'all with me? I want to be mindful that we don't filter biblical text through modern history and then miss the teaching. That is not to say that in any way I am, ab- I am celebrating or condoning any of the things that we know slavery to be today. We stand on the same ground. All men are created equal and for freedom we have been set free. Amen? Y'all with me? Okay. Over the last several weeks, we've been walking through this text and the teaching from the Apostle Paul, and he's been talking a lot about pride. You'll remember three teachings ago, we mentioned, we learned, came to understand that the root of our sin problem is really a pride problem. Y'all with me? You remember that? It was about understanding the vanity of man and his desire to be glorified and made to feel good. And then last week, we jumped into the text and the apostle was teaching about the ways in which the churches in Galatea were being confused and influenced by the teachers, the Judaizers of Mosaic law. And he said to them, I know that they're making much of you and I know it feels good to be made much of. Same conversation, essentially, trying to say to them, one of the tricks of the enemy is to make sin and distraction from gospel truth so beautiful, so fulfilling, so sweet-smelling, and wonderfully tasting that you lose sight of the God over all things. Amen. And he continues the conversation today essentially with a history lesson. It's as if the Apostle Paul has been teaching and teaching and teaching, and the students are still not learning, still not learning. Do I have any teachers in the room? Do I have anybody who teaches for a living? You with me? You know what I'm talking about? Lesson plan after lesson plan, and you're like, cool, we get to do that part of math again? Wonderful. Thank you so much. The apostle is talking to a people over and over with truth, and he's trying to find as many ways as he can to give out the details to say, let me paint this picture. Do you understand? Let me paint it this way. Do you understand? Let me paint it this way. And finally, in this part, the end of chapter four, he says, you know what I'm going to do? If you really still love the law and the Judaizers are convincing you that you don't just need Jesus, you need Jesus and law, let's filter the whole thing through the conversation of the law. He essentially uses the enemy's tricks against him. Here's what he's saying. Oftentimes, 
we lose our way in chasing after Jesus. Because chasing after Jesus does not immediately fulfill us in the way that we want. He's talking about the common practice that we all succumb to, which is edging God out. Have you ever heard that acronym before? Edging God out is is ego. Have you all ever heard that before? And, And when I use the word ego, you and I might think about somebody who was pompous, arrogant, puffed up, and conceited. But the truth of the matter is, is that every one of us struggles with some sort of ego in some way. It's the moments in which God calls you to a thing, and yet that just doesn't fit your agenda. Amen. And so Paul is trying to get right to the heart of this pride and vanity manner, and he's going to use this lens of history to teach it for us. So I want to jump in real quick. Paul says this, tell me if you know this story, friends, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now, the moment that he's doing this, remember, the church is in Galatea. These are Gentiles who have converted. Now, there are some people who are of the Jewish diaspora who have filtered into these churches, but he is in charge of leading Gentiles to Jesus. And so when he's talking to Gentiles and new converts to Jesus, but then he shifts his focus to Torah, Old Testament teaching, he's really talking to the Judaizers, the ones who are always in love with the law and trying to distract it. It's as if Paul is talking to us and then sees a demon walk in the room and says, hold up stop and starts talking to the attack. And I don't have this in my notes. This isn't really part of the teaching, but I might encourage a couple blood-bought, saved and sanctified believers to change the way you start dealing with your attacks and start being the kind of person that rather just talk to your friends and complain to the church people and be like, I'm under attack. What if you just walked into the room and looked at your attack and said, stop, I came here to talk to you. You don't get to talk that way to me anymore. You don't get to have authority. You are not a welcome here anymore. Do I have anybody here who's ready and willing to start talking to the enemy in your life and saying, no more, devil, go. Paul says, I'm sick of this. So Judaizers, gather around. I got something to say to you. He says, you remember that story about Abraham and Hagar and Sarah? The Judaizers are like, oh, yeah. Where's this going? He's like, Remember how Abraham had two sons, but at first he's only supposed to have one son. Do you know this story, church? Do y'all know this? Because some of us don't, don't know this. Maybe we should just jump into it. Genesis 16 is really what we're talking about here. You should know that in Genesis 15, we've talked about this, God gave a promise to Abraham and Sarah. In 15, he says to Abraham, he says, um, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Abraham was worried about a distant relative becoming the heir of all that he had developed. He said, no, your very own son, Abraham, shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look to the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. This was the promise from God to Abraham that he would bring forth a mighty nation, that from him would come a multitude of people that would constitute and then become the holy nation that God had chosen. And then some years had passed and the promise hadn't come true. Have you ever heard a word from God and then not see the fruits of God? Is anybody in here and just felt like, he said I'm going to be married. And then you are still on Bumble. It's just like, I feel like I'm going to Bumble my way through the next set of 15 bad dates before, what's going on here? You ever feel like God's timing is off? 
Like, like he says something's going to come to pass and you're like ready for it. You're like, amen, I've been praying for it. And now you finally deliver the word. And so let me get a quick bite to eat and then let's go get it. You know what I mean? And then God takes his time because you know that God always takes his time. And yet God is always on time. Am I talking to anybody today? God always seems to do things different from the ways in which we want them to be done. And yet ask anybody who's walked with him for any period of time, that was the way it was supposed to be done. How many of you have ever walked into a blessing a little bit too early and then squandered the blessing? You ever did that? (laughs) I, I got it when I wanted it and I shouldn't have got it then. That's what happens is God makes a promise to Abraham and Sarah. He says, you guys are going to have kids, lots of kids. And they're like, sweet. And a couple years goes by, no kids. A couple more years, no kids. And Sarah starts to get a little restless. Oh, read your Bible. Sarah starts to get a little restless. It says, now Sarai, her name had not become Sarah yet, according to God's word. Abram's wife had borne him no children but she had a female Egyptian slave, servant. Her name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. Have you read your Bible recently? Are y'all with me? Do you understand the language that we're using here? Can we put this in very stark terms? A married woman has just turned to her husband (laughs) and said, what do you think about my friend? you guys should date. Are you with me? You guys would make a perfect couple and wonderful babies. This is weird, yes? Y'all are quiet like this is a normal thing. I know we're in Denver, but come on. This is not a normal thing. But desperation will have you doing abnormal things. You see, Sarah wants to promise. And the promise isn't coming true. And so she looks at her servant and says, Abraham, maybe you should should go into her that I might obtain these children that were promised by God from her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abraham lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to him as his wife. He went into her, she conceived, and they had a child. It's possible to do a God thing in an ungod way. Y'all with me? And that's exactly what happens. This Paul is teaching this to the church. He's saying, do you all remember this story? And surely the Judaizers know every word of this story. And he says, now, Hagar is a picture of that which is born of man's hands. He said, she represents the first covenant, the covenant of the law. She represents Mount Sinai. She represents the 10 commandments and all that was brought forth through Moses, all of the rules that were meant as guide posts and guardrails for the people of Israel to find their way towards holiness. She represents the lower Jerusalem. She represents law and Paul takes it all the way to its logical conclusion and says, and therefore she represents slavery. How does that happen? How does that work? What he's saying is whenever we as a people create something with our own hands, we are beholden to that which we create. So when God says holiness is the standard and the people make a set of laws, they are now entrapped in those laws. And yet the problem with it is that most of us 
none of us can live into holiness through man-made practices. I cannot stand up here on a Sunday morning and give you every rule you need to follow and expect you to follow it. Not one of us, even I, would ever be able to do it. Even if I were to make it simple. What if I said, so glad you came to Beacon today, and between now and next Sunday when you come, here are eight things you must not do. What if I told you that? You must not cuss. Slow laughter. You must not drink. You must not lust. You must not backbite or gossip. How many have already fallen off? Amen. Some of y'all are real and some of y'all are like, got your game face on. If I were to carry this out, many of us would find that it is a difficult thing to live holy through the lens of the law. Do you know why? Because the lens of the law does no change in the heart. It just sets the rules by which you have to white knuckle and muscle it up and live holy in and of yourself. And yet the gospel of Christ is totally different. He says, that's why Sarah had another son, a son of the promise, the promise that came in that was delivered through the faith of Abraham. It's the same for you and I. You see, God gave us a promise in Christ Jesus. And when we put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. We no longer have to muscle it up and live holy ourselves. He empowers us to live holy in spite of ourselves. Y'all with me? See, most of us are concerned with behavior modification. What are the rules? How do I play? And Jesus says, what if there were no rules and you just let me live through you? You could live holy that way. What if I didn't know the rules? Don't you worry. I'll be with you. I'll tell you everything you need to do. I'll even convict you when you make mistakes and celebrate you when you grow more holy. I'll be the still small voice that walks you from day to day and season to season to be changed from the inside out. You might be washed with the watering of the word, but out of your belly will flow rivers, rivers of living water. Y'all with me? That's the beauty of the promise is that when the promise comes through faith, the promise is imparted into those who have faith. And so Paul says, one woman, one son. It's a picture of what it looks like when we as humans take matter into our own hands. One woman, one son. A picture of what it looks like when we put all things into God's hands. So let's talk about just how gosh darn difficult it is to put our things into God's hands. Can we do that for a minute? You and I all struggle with this each and every day. I know I do. I'm always talking to God, praying to the Lord, asking for his wisdom and his guidance. And most of what I'm saying is, Lord, please help me from me. Please save me from me. Please change me so that I'm not like me on an ongoing basis. Because here's what I've come to understand over the years of walking with Jesus. It's really dangerous when I take matters into my own hands. Y'all with me? I mean, when I let Jesus take the wheel, we get there. Now, it can be a little bit nerve-wracking, but we always arrive. When I drive, we are busted and up on a curb sideways. There's three wheels falling off, and I had to climb out through the passenger window. That's what it looks like when I'm at the wheel. And so most of my prayers are asking the Lord, help me get out of my own way. Now, Paul is teaching here about specifically the law. But this teaching is meant as an allegory 
taking the lens of the conversation from the Old Testament, filtering it through the current circumstances of the church in Galatea, and making so it, it can be applied to this church here in Denver. The conversation is this. Every one of us on an ongoing basis struggles with taking control of our life. Amen? How many of you are in complete control of your life? Amen. How many of you are continuing to grasp at those reins on an ongoing basis? I wake up every morning with plans, so here's what we're going to do today, Jesus. And I, I don't understand, he's always laughing at me. He's like, that's hilarious, brother. We got way better stuff for us today. The problem for most of us is that we, we love to be in control. Being in control is, um, well, it feels safe, doesn't it? That's actually one of the reasons the law was made. It was made to make people feel safe. Can I just tell you the honest truth? A life lived by faith, as Paul tells us in Galatians 2.20, it's actually a little bit scary. For me to tell you, just trust Jesus, bro. Sounds like, don't worry, everything will work out. If I were to tell you, just let God take over, that might sound like I was saying, do nothing. Trust it to chance. But that's not what that phrase means, amen? Let me show you something real quick. Sarah and Abraham heard the promise of the fulfillment of this holy nation that was to come from them in Genesis 15. But Isaac, that first son, didn't come for 25 years. I tell you that today to encourage you <laughs> that if you're waiting, you ain't waiting that long. Most of us have never waited that long. Most of us get frustrated and nervous, antsy, even a little bit impatient if it's been like 45 minutes. How many of you are good at standing in line? Anybody? Nobody. I hate lines. If there's a line, we're not buying whatever that is. I'm serious. I love In-N-Out. And I just found out today In-N-Out is a Christian company. Did you know that? Did y'all know that? Did you? Let me just give that prophetic word to you today. In-N-Out is owned by Christians. Selah. Come on now. But if I drive by an In-N-Out and an In-N-Out drive-thru is doing what an In-N-Out drive-thru is doing, we're going heathen and buying five guys. That's just the way that it is. I'm not waiting in that line. You with me? I see you. I love you. Uh, maybe Sunday. I don't know what to tell you, man. There is no line at Five Guys. In fact, my wife is a big fan of quality. One of the ways in which she measures whether a restaurant is good is how many people are in the dining room. Do y'all do this? Y'all look in the window and be like, it's packed. This is good. Let's go. That doesn't matter to me. If it's packed, I'm like, it's going to take forever. Let's go. I'm looking for an empty dining room. And I have disappointed my family more times than I can count. I mean, like, this place is, we can get right in and we get served right away and immediately the plate comes out and we're like, oh, no, this is a bad choice. <laughs> Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. I lack it. I need it. Because I'm always trying to take matters into my own hands. I want what I want, when I want it, and I want it right now. 
And Sarah's talking to her husband, and she's like, when's this baby coming? Because I'm looking at you, and you're looking at me, and we are O-L-D old. <laughs> and this isn't going to work if we wait any longer. She takes matters into her own hands. They went after a God thing without following God's plan for the thing. They went after a promise of God and forgot to include God while they chased after the promise. They, they, they had developed a faith in God and then started to redefine the faith and the God in whom they had the faith. We do this all the time. I tell you the high standards for the life in which God has called you and I to live. And we say yes and put our trust in him. And then when we leave, we shift where our trust is and we reframe the order of the day and the rules of the game we play. Y'all with me? It's like when I tell you God's called you to be married and you say, great. And then you live differently than God's standard for relationships. I hit this one all the time. You with me? If you come to this church by now, you're super frustrated with me. I hit this all the time because it matters. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you want your union to be blessed by God, then that union needs to be formed by God. You cannot form it devoid of God in disobedience to God and then expect God to be like, yeah, it's close enough. God does not give, hear me, partial credit for obedience. Y'all with me? It is all God's way or it is no way at all. It's like you know that if a man don't work, a man don't eat. And so you sell drugs. No, that's not. You said, pastor, I'm working. That's not working, man. Well, how much did you? No, that's not. Other churches would be like, did you tithe? No, that's not what we're talking about. I ain't trying to get you to live like that. I'm trying to tell you, God's got a plan for you. Hear me. And that plan might be hard from time to time. But that plan is perfectly suited for you. And it will work if you work it. But if you don't work it, it doesn't work. I mean, I don't know how more simple I can make it. But so many of us love God's plans and then live out our own plans and ask God to bless them. And that's what happens. They do the same thing. They take over for God, Sarah and Abraham. They make themselves God by stepping in and fulfilling the promise. I want to tell you this today because I know that many of us have a, a concept of grace that might smooth this over for us a little incorrectly. Grace. You know this beautiful and wonderful thing that we receive from Jesus Christ? Grace is extended to sinners so that they are pulled out of sin and no longer sinners. You with me? Grace is not extended to saints so they can keep pretending to be sinners. You, you with me? Uh, welcome to Beacon, sorry. Grace is the invitation that says, I know where you've been and I know what you've done and I know how hurt you've been, but I paid the price and all you need to do is come home. I will wipe every tear from your eye and I will cleanse the slate for you because I am king and now you look like me and when our father sees you, he only sees me. That's grace. 
And some of us love that grace and the kind of grace that says, well, I, I don't really have to do all that. That's so legalistic. What, you mean to tell me I gotta not cuss and I gotta live outside of the home and I can't have sex before marriage and I can't do drugs and I can't, you mean to tell me, come on, what about grace? God's got grace for me. That's not grace. That's called rebellion. Can I push you? It is rebellion to receive grace and then say, cool, I'm going to keep doing the same thing. See, salvation is not heart change devoid of life change. Salvation is the heart change that brings about life change. You said, you mean, you mean tell me I got to be perfect? The moment I say yes to Jesus, absolutely not. But you will be perfected day by day and minute by minute the more you say yes to Jesus. Amen. And if you tell me you got saved six years ago and you still live like you don't know Jesus, we have work to do. We have to redefine your understanding of this relationship with Jesus. Let, let me put a fine tooth on this for you. James chapter 4, the stepbrother, a half-brother of Jesus, who at first did not believe, but through years of prayer and revelation came to understand that Jesus, his half-brother, was the Messiah yet to come, the promised one. He writes in chapter 4, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and you spend it on your passions. This is James. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Here's the teaching. When you say yes to Jesus, you are being called out of the world. And every day that you are called out, you are letting go of the things in the world that once held you and that you have been holding on to. That's called sanctification. It's you pressing into Jesus and letting him remove from you iniquity. It's you pressing, him into Jesus, pressing into Jesus and recognizing that he's called you to be more conscientious of the way in which you live. And when the Holy Spirit convicts you, surrendering and saying, I'm ready to walk away from that. I'm ready to walk away from that. The life of a Christian is a constant refining fire. You should be different every day. You with me? And so Paul writes to the church and he says, why have you welcomed back these things into your life that Jesus had rescued you from? And I might ask you the same question today. Is there something in your life right now that you just can't shake? Is there something that when, when you first came to the altar, First time you said the prayer, raised your hand. Somebody led you to the Lord. You placed your trust in Jesus. Is there something that you were sure you would be loosed of that day? And now here you are looking back over the history of your life and it's still there. Maybe it's a relationship that you just can't shake, but you know that you know it is not right for you. It may feel good, but it isn't God. 
Maybe it's a way in which you think about other people. Maybe you're led to believe that you're allowed to be one of those Christians who's bitter and unforgiving. You love Jesus and love his forgiveness, but you hate other people. You're so angry at them. You are unwilling to let them be free from you. All you ever do is drink the poison of resentment and you want all of God's goodness, but you don't want no goodness for everybody else. Maybe it's this. Maybe you know that God has called you to be free and yet you continually welcome vice back into your life through sex, drugs, alcohol, addiction to pornography, addiction to screen time, addiction to work, and you slowly but surely love Jesus so long as he doesn't interfere with the things that make you feel good. Is there something you've been holding on to? The apostle finishes his time in this conversation, this final allegorical twist, and he, he, he brings it down at the end in verse 30. After telling the story, a story they know so well, to remind them of the difference between promise and law, between faith and religion, in verse 30, he, he reminds everyone in the room of the logical consequence, the log logical conclusion of this whole thing. He says, but what does scripture say? Do you remember what Abraham was called to do? Do you remember what God had said to Sarah and Abraham after they had taken matters into their own hands, before the promise had come? Don't miss this. Do you remember the crux of the conversation where God said, I made a promise and you fulfilled your promise your own way, but before this comes, you're gonna have to take some action. You remember, he says, verse 30, what does scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Abraham was told to cast out Hagar and his son Ishmael. Literally, he was instructed to send them into exile. And you're thinking, that sounds awfully harsh. And Abraham thought it too. You'll have to understand that Hagar was not just a prostitute to Abraham. She became his wife. Ishmael was not just a mistake or a forgotten offspring. Ishmael was his firstborn son. And even though that son came outside of the promise of God, he still loved that son, adored that son, wanted the best for that son and that woman. And God called him and said, I made a promise to you. And that promise does not come true until you follow me in obedience and loose that which is in the way of my promise. Every time I read this scripture, I always think of what it must have been like to be Abraham. To think of his son and how much he loved him and recognize that he had done wrong in bringing him here. I, I mean, it, I, I don't even have a theological framework for it. I, I don't even have words for you, only save to experience the pain of what it must have been like for Abraham to be given a choice. To let go of that which he loved so that he could grasp the one who loved him. I want you to feel this pain right here. 
you have to understand the acute trauma that was in this moment. The Bible tells us in Genesis 21 that Abraham put a coat on Hagar. He gave them water. In his sending out, it wasn't just to kick them out the door. He yearned for them to be saved. He, he sought for them to be rescued. It was impossible nearly for him to let go, but he was unwilling to lose the God who spoke promise over him, unwilling to lose the relationship, and God had asked him to do a hard thing, and he was desperate to please God because he had displeased God. And you said, well, what happened to Hagar? You mean to tell me that I'm supposed to love a God that would send a single mother and her son out into the desert? Yeah, because you don't know what God knows about Hagar and Ishmael. You don't know that God showed up later. And, and Hagar is, is, is one of the only people to see God. And she is the first person to give God a name. She calls him the God who sees me. You see, when we're thinking about letting go of people or things we love or institutions, we're always thinking like, well, what would this be like for them? I mean, I want to chase after God, but if I break up with them, they're going to lose their faith. They're going to struggle. They're going to fall. And I want to tell you, you don't love them more than God loves them. You don't have a plan greater than God has for them. And if you won't let go of them, God can't hold on to them. It is Hagar who sees God and says, my God sees me. But God doesn't see her until Abraham looses her. Jesus went through this whole shirt. <laughs> you guys, I almost wore a sweatshirt today. I put on a Mickey Mouse shirt last night and I was like, look at this sweatshirt. She's like, are you crazy? Wow, sorry. Focus, ADD, jeez. <laughs> Last thing I want to leave you with is this, and we'll call the band up. God calls him to make this nearly impossible choice. He, he calls Abram to cast out this woman whom he's loved. He calls Abraham to let go of this family that he made. He calls him to let go of something that is tender and sweet to him. It's served him well. It's provided a source of joy because God does not see it the same way that Abraham sees it. You see, God sees in black and white. God does not see our half deeds and our partial obedience as partial credit that would count towards the test. He says, it's either all my way or it's one way to death. We're gonna do something for the next few minutes. I'm gonna have the band up, we're just gonna worship. But I wanna set the stage for you here today. Because if you came this morning to church and you've said yes to Jesus, but you haven't yet said no to the things that are holding you back from Jesus, if you've grasped the nail-scarred hands of your Savior, but only been able to do it with one hand because the other is attached to the world behind you, 
If you're stuck in addiction, broken relationships, bad thinking, you've got yourself in a situation that is holding you back and you can't seem to let go of it, I want to tell you this today. You can let go of it today. But you, you have to cast it out. Notice that when God makes this urge to Abraham, the instructions are clear. Get this out of your life so I can pour all of me into your life. Second part of the question, if you're here and you're faithful and you love Jesus, but you just don't feel like you're doing or feeling or receiving all of the things that everyone else does. You come to church and you see people and Pastor Ty says, come to the praise pit and they run, run down. He says, raise your hand and worship and they raise their hand and worship. But you see people praying and twirling and dancing and when I'm up here shouting, they're shouting and you're like, I just don't get it. I don't feel it. I don't understand what all this is. If you feel like there's something holding you back, I want to encourage you today to let go of the things that hold you back. Would you stand to your feet? If you're here today and that's you, and you wanna let go of something, I wanna encourage you to come down to this altar. You don't have to bring anything. It's just an act of obedience, a, a show, a demonstration to the Lord that you know that you have not yet received the fullness of him, that you've been holding on to things that have been holding you back. If that's you, I want to invite you to come down here. Maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's depression, maybe it's sadness, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Maybe it's, it's the things that the world tells you are beautiful. If that's you, I want to encourage you to come down and let go. Let go, let go, let go. I want to speak a word to every young person in this room who lives in Colorado, a place where weed is legal. Ready? I'm gonna tell you right now, the truth is this. You need to let go of the addiction to drugs. You said, but weed isn't like a drug. Yes, it is. It changes the way that you think and the way that you live. You can't fully access all of the things of God by holding on to it. If that's you today, I wanna to encourage you to come down, to loose the bondage of addiction. Loose the worry and the fear that has held you back. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we love you.